Hi, I'm Tyler Saltzi, pastor of Grace Bible Fellowship in Peru, Illinois. Our mission at Grace Bible Fellowship is to magnify the glory of the triune God in Christ Jesus by proclaiming God's word to advance the gospel in our lives and the world. We base who we are and what we do on the good news of Jesus. If you would like to find more information about Grace Bible Fellowship, you can visit our website at www.gbfperu.org. I'm so thankful you've come here to listen to God's Word proclaimed as we seek to understand it and be transformed by it. I hope you find this time meaningful, challenging, convicting, joyful, and even life-changing as we worship through the preaching of God's Word. I invite you to get copies of the scriptures this morning and open to the book of Acts, chapter 20. Acts, chapter 20. In a moment, I will read one verse. What a good reminder this morning that we stand upon and are committed to the authority of God's word. God is not silent, He has spoken, He has spoken to us through His word. And his word has authority in our lives to tell us what to do. Do you like when someone tells you what to do? God perfectly, righteously, truthfully tells us what to do. And so we pray, give us ears to hear what you would say to us, O Lord, that we might hear it, and do it. We might be obedient to his word. So would you stand with me as I read Acts chapter 20, verse 7 this morning, and then I'll pray for us. Hear the word of the Lord. On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread... Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day, and he prolonged his speech until midnight. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. May your word be as food to us, O Lord. May we... Take it in. May we long for it. May we desire it. May we be hungry for it because we know by it we are made more like Christ. And let us be sustained by it today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. May be seated. Most people like structure in their lives. Structure makes it so you know what to expect. You have a plan, you have a purpose, somewhere that you are going. Most people do not flourish in chaos or uncertainty. We can quickly come to our wit's end. So we want some structure, some kind of order to our lives. Many people actually feel like they are flourishing when there is order in their life, at least a certain amount of order. 
And so routine actually becomes a good thing. Do you have a daily routine? Things that you do every single day? Or most every day? Perhaps each day has a little bit of a different routine? Sometimes in our lives we even say, I'm looking forward to getting back to my regular routine. The things that I do usually every day. Getting back to some structure. Getting back to what we call normal life. Our gathering together as Christ church and the family of God should be routine. And that is not a bad thing. It's a very good thing. It's a God-ordained thing. And with routine often comes discipline. So routine is good when it's coupled with discipline. Many people at this time of the year will make New Year's resolutions, and perhaps many New Year's resolutions revolve around exercise. You see that in the flyers, the ads, all of the exercise equipment that is on sale at this time because all of the people that will be making New Year's resolutions to exercise more and to make that part of their routine, they will need discipline. They will need to be disciplined for more than two weeks, which is the average length of people's New Year's resolutions before they are broken. So routine is a good thing when coupled with discipline. Roteness is what is done without thinking, without purpose, without maybe even discipline at times. There is a lackadaisical nature to roteness. Maybe you've experienced this kind of lackadaisical nature before in your own life without even knowing it. Have you ever been driving in the car and you notice that all of a sudden there is a structure, a building that has been built that you've never seen before? And this is a road that you travel on all the time. You might do it daily almost. And all of a sudden, you notice for the very first time, there is a building there, and I had never known that there was a building there before. Why is that? Well, it's not because you weren't driving down the same road. It's because you had never paid attention to it before. You had never noticed it. There was a certain sense of lackadaisical attitude. And all of a sudden, there it is. Like it appeared out of nowhere. But we know it didn't appear out of nowhere. Someone had to build it over time, over months. As we engage doing the things that we do in our lives, we want our mind to be active. We want to do things with purpose, with reason, with resolve, with discipline. There might be times when we would like to take a break. Get back to exercising for a moment. There will be times when it's easier not to exercise. <laughs> but if exercise is part of your routine, you will discipline yourself to exercise. You will have to do it when you don't feel like doing it. In fact, someone was talking to me. I, I usually try to run. I was talking with someone about running, and they said to me, Oh, you like to run. And I said, no, I don't like to run. 
my daughter usually comes to me after I come in from a run, and she will say, how was your run today? And I'll say, often, awful. It was an awful run. It's the truth. It hurt. (laughs) I didn't like it. It wasn't fun. We will have to discipline ourselves sometimes to exercise. You will have to discipline yourself with routine. You will have to do it when you don't feel like doing it. You will have to endure when you are tired of doing it. You will have to regain perspective when it becomes monotonous. When you're doing the same thing over and over and over again, and maybe you forget why you're doing it, you will have to go back and say, why am I doing this? Why am I running again? Why am I in this routine? Like life, our church has a regular routine. What we do every Sunday, or most every Sunday... And what I'm proposing this Sunday is a slight tweak to our regular routine. It's not to say that our routine is bad. It's not to say that it's been in any way sinful. In fact, other churches will have different routines, and it's nothing about their routines. This is not saying anything about them. But as the church, we want our routine to revolve around what God's Word says. We want to be as biblical as possible. So this is an issue of merely pursuing what is perhaps best practice. And we pursue what is of best practice because it is for your benefit. It's for your spiritual good. We want you, and I say we, uh, Eric and myself, our leadership as elders and deacons, we want you to flourish spiritually. We want you to grow spiritually. We want you to be more like Jesus each and every day. This is not for your harm. This is not for your difficulty or to hinder you in any way. It's for your spiritual strength. It's for your spiritual good. And it's for your spiritual joy. Paul says this to the Corinthian church. We work with you for your joy. That's why we want to work. We work with you so that your joy might increase, so that your joy might be more and more, so that your joy might be complete and perfect as it is in Jesus Christ, and that you might experience that. Not seeking to minimize or steal your joy. This is something that I've been thinking about for quite some time, for probably over a year. But the slight tweak to our routine is I'd like for us as a church to consider to take the Lord's Supper every Sunday. (laughs) For us to say, this is part of who we are. We come together, and I'll give you the reasons here uh, in a moment, but um, that we would proclaim Jesus Christ and that we would do that every Sunday through the Lord's Supper. So uh, let's look at the reasons why for a moment. And again, this is not to say what we were doing is sinful. If other churches do differently, it's not to saying that they are sinful or doing it wrong. I just think for us at this time, at this season, where we are, it will be for our benefit. And let me deal with something up front before I get into these reasons, an objection real quick. I, I think this could possibly be one of the major objections is that people will think it'll become less meaningful. 
it will mean less to us if we do it every Sunday, or we will lose purpose if we do it every Sunday. But what if this? What if, instead of it becoming less meaningful and less purposeful, it becomes more meaningful and we appreciate it more? In fact, I've talked to some other pastors who do this that I know, particularly in the Chicago area, and I've asked them this question, and they say, my people thought that they, it would mean less to them if we did it every Sunday, but their appreciation for the Lord's Supper has grown exponentially. They appreciate that we do it every Sunday. They look forward to it. They want to do it now. It hasn't become less. It's actually grown in them. And so, might it do the same in us? Might it do the same in us? And I'll make this promise to you. If you come every Sunday and you give yourself to that time that we have around the Lord's Supper, if you, if you prepare yourself, if you examine yourself, if you seek to enjoy it, if you seek to take it in the way that it's meant to be taken, you will never be disappointed because the Lord's Supper will never let you down. It will never disappoint you because it is the Lord's Supper. Just as the Lord never disappoints, so his supper will never disappoint. But let's look at some reasons why. Number one here this morning, you can follow along in your bulletin. I know it looks like sermon suicide there, if you know me at all, with all of those blanks. Lord willing, we will get through them this morning, but I will have to move quickly. Number one, we will follow what seems to have been the ordinary pattern of the early church. We will follow what seems to have been the ordinary pattern for the early church. So we come here to Acts 20, verse 7, and you're wondering, why did he read this verse and just, just this verse? I mean, what's here that is so amazing? Or you could even develop a sermon around this. Well, notice Acts 20, Paul is here in this place called Troas, and now he's with Luke, who wrote the book of Acts. It's the first day of the week, or it's Sunday, the day when Christians began to congregate together because it's the day that the Lord was raised from the dead. Sunday, they were gathered together. They assembled. Why? For what purpose? What purpose is expressed here in this verse? We were gathered together to break bread. Now, it's not the only purpose, but Paul highlights it as the, and Luke highlights it as the, the prominent purpose. It's, in fact, the only purpose mentioned. They gathered together to break bread. The purpose of holding the church service was so that they could break bread. And this terminology of breaking bread is often what's used to describe the Lord's Supper. So they came together and they broke bread. That is, they partook of the Lord's Supper. It went all the way back to Jesus in the upper room with his disciples when he took the bread and he broke it. It goes even further back to when Jesus fed the 5,000 and the 4,000. What did he do? He took the bread and he broke it. And so this euphemism is used to describe taking the Lord's Supper. 
And the stated purpose of gathering together on that Sunday was to break bread. The stated purpose was not to sing, although they could have sung. The stated and the prominent purpose was not to preach, although Paul preached. He preached until midnight. Some people might say, well, does that mean that you should preach until midnight? No. It's a special occasion. Paul was about to leave them, so he had some things to tell them, so he went on into the night, not as a pattern. But the stated purpose, the prominent purpose, is to break bread. Notice that that Luke also makes this statement without any explanation. He doesn't have to say, now this was an exceptional time when they were gathered together to break bread or let us know that it was out of the ordinary. The simple statement without defense or explanation makes us think that it was common practice. The Christians met on Sunday, common practice, and they met for the express purpose of breaking bread, also a common practice. And that is what they did. Paul preached well into the night. Eutychus fell out of the window and died. Paul brought him back to life, and then they broke bread, and then they had the Lord's Supper. Talk about a visual right before you break the bread. So I believe Acts 20, verse 7, is a good evidence, is good evidence for believing the early church partook of the Lord's Supper every Sunday. One other reference, if you go back to Acts chapter 2, verse 42, there it says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. The question is, these things that the early church was devoted to, how often were they devoted to these things? Were these things done every Sunday? Were there only certain times of fellowship on certain Sundays? Or did they only pray on certain Sundays? I would think it makes sense to us that all of these were to be regular practices in the church. We should participate and have these as components of our worship services or times of gathering together all the time. Would we pick out the breaking of the bread, the practice of the Lord's Supper, and say that somehow this is an exception of the other three? It makes more sense, I think, to think of these devotions were expressed weekly. And then one other note, and you can even look at this in your scripture reading, in your bulletin this morning. Five times in those verses from 1 Corinthians 11, Paul says, come together, come together. You even see it there first. When you come together, it's not for the better, but for the worse. When you, verse 18, come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. Verse 20, when you come together, it is not for the Lord's Supper. It is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. So he's saying here, okay, you're coming together as a church. You're doing this regularly all the time. When you're coming together, you think that you're getting together to participate in the Lord's Supper, but you're not participating in the Lord's Supper. You're abusing the Lord's Supper. You're using it for your own ends, your own means, your own gain. You're getting drunk off of the Lord's Supper even. So he has to correct them when they get together. 
as they come together as a church, and this seems to be the regular pattern of the church, that they are to partake of the Lord's Supper together. So, in these verses, we see the Lord's Supper to be held in high esteem, having a prominent place in the regular worship of the early church. These verses are saying this is a crucial component of the church coming together in a day and age where devotion and dedication is thin. We live in a day and age when devotion and dedication is thin. Where faithlessness rules the day rather than faithfulness. Might this be a way that we are that we can show we are devoted to the breaking of the bread and follow the ordinary pattern of the early church. Second, we will submit ourselves to obeying Christ's commandments or Christ's commandment, singular. We will submit ourselves to obeying Christ's commandment. The Lord's Supper was not designed by man. We did not make it up. We did not think it would be a good thing to do. We didn't say, how can we honor Christ? How can we exalt Christ and come up with the Lord's Supper? It is God's design to exalt and glorify His Son. And it's given to us as a commandment of Christ. This is why we call it an ordinance. Do we as Christians ever feel alone in this world? As if we are the only ones who fear the Lord. That we are the only ones who want to obey the word. That we are the only ones who want to do what Christ tells us to do. What a better way, what better way is there than for us to remind ourselves that we are not alone when we come together and we say, we are going to obey Christ together. Here is a tangible, visible way. As we're going about our lives in this world, we see people disobey the word and disobey Christ all over the place, but we come together and we say, we are submitting ourselves to Christ and are going to obey him together to remind ourselves that we are not alone. We are again demonstrating our allegiance to Christ. This is a crucial component of being a disciple of Jesus Christ. Jesus told his disciples at the end of Matthew to teach the people to observe and obey everything that he had commanded them. A faithful disciple will want to obey Christ in everything that he commanded. So when we partake of the Lord's Supper, we are obeying what he instituted on the night that he was betrayed. Number three, we will make Christ's gospel visible. We will make Christ's gospel visible. What do we do when we come together? Well, we read the word, we sing the word, we pray the word, we preach the word, and one way that we see the word and see the good news of Jesus Christ is through the participation in the Lord's Supper. We have the elements of the bread and the cup. We see them, we hold them, we taste them. It's a visible demonstration of the salvation Jesus has secured for us through his death and resurrection. We make known the mystery of the gospel when we partake of the Lord's Supper. And we need to remind ourselves of the mystery of the gospel and we need to make this proclamation to the world. This great mystery of the gospel where the holy God who has the right 
and is just in punishing sinners who rebel against him, has sent his only and perfect and righteous son to live the life that we should have lived, to die the death that we deserved to die, but who rose again on the third day to give life and forgiveness to all who call on him in faith. And then he ascended into heaven where now he is seated at God's right hand to make intercession for us. It's a visible testimony to the grace, mercy, and love of our Savior, whereby he purchased our salvation through his own perfect sacrifice. We want to be a gospel-centered, Christ-exalting, God-glorifying church. And what better way is there for us to do that than to put the cross of Christ before us each and every Sunday? Too often... We only want to focus on ourselves, on what we want, on what makes us happy, on what we would prefer, how easy it is for man-centeredness to creep into any church. The Lord's Supper never fails to keep us near the cross. And so in order for Christ's gospel to be made visible, there are three things that we will do in all of these have reference to time, so past, present, and future. But A, we will remember Christ. With each element, Jesus told his disciples, do this in remembrance of me. (laughs) There are certain things that have happened in human history that you will remember where you were when they happened. And there are certain things that we say we will never forget. We will never forget World War I, World War II. We'll never forget 9-11. We are forgetful people. We often forget things. Why did Jesus have to say this about the greatest and most significant event that was to take place in all of human history? Why did Jesus have to say this about the event that was the greatest and most intense display of the love of God that has ever been shown. He said that because we are prone to forget even that which is the most significant. And so he says to us, remember the atonement. Remember the ransom price that has been paid to purchase us. Remember our redemption. Remember our justification. Remember our propitiation that Jesus appeased and extinguished the wrath of God on our behalf. Remember our reconciliation where now Jesus Christ has made it so that we can be at peace with God and no longer his enemies. Do this in remembrance of me. And Jesus said this on the night when he was betrayed. Would that be a night that we would like to forget? If you were betrayed, would you like to remember that night? Remember the disciple who betrayed Jesus with a kiss. Remember Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. 
where he prayed fervently to his father, his soul troubled to the depths, saying, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Remember when Jesus sweat drops of blood. Remember when they came as a mob to arrest him. Remember when he went before Caiaphas and Pilate. Remember when the false accusations were made against him. Remember when he was scourged and beaten and mocked. Remember when he had the crown of thorns pressed into his brow. Remember when the cross was laid upon his back that he would have to carry. Remember him struggling and not being able to carry it. Remember the nails that pierced his hands and his feet. Remember the Savior who gasped for air on the cross. Remember the Savior who said, forgive them for they know not what they do. Remember the Savior who bowed his head and breathed his last, yielding up his spirit to the Father. We will remember Christ, but let her be we will regularly apply the benefits of the gospel. We will regularly apply the benefits of the gospel. When we make the gospel visible, we will also spend time meditating on how we are beneficiaries of the good news of the gospel even now. In the cross, there are present benefits you and I can know today. We know the cleansing power of Jesus' blood. He is the one who cleanses us from all unrighteousness. He is the one who has removed our filthy rags and clothed us in purity. We know the power of forgiveness in the cross. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And how often, how often do we need reassurance of the forgiveness that Jesus gives to those who trust in him? How often do we need to hear that, those words, there is now therefore no condemnation in the one who loves Jesus. We know the peace that comes through Christ. Once God's enemies now were seated at his table. Once rebels and tyrants now children of God. Peace that permeates heart and mind and soul. A peace that surpasses all understanding because it is not a peace secured by man's efforts. It's a peace that's secured by God's efforts through the cross. We have the benefit of the hope of the resurrection. We have the benefit of joy. I heard a person say one point, they wished that they could go back and be baptized again. They wish that they could go back into the waters of baptism because that, that moment, that time when they were there declaring their allegiance for Jesus Christ for everyone to see was so special and so meaningful for them that they wish they could go back into the waters of baptism again. And then he remembered, I don't need to go back to the waters of baptism again because I have the Lord's Supper the means by which Christ himself has given me reassurance. I don't need to go back to baptism to be reassured. I need to go to the Lord's table to be reassured of my salvation. 
And finally, letter C, we will proclaim Christ's death until he returns, the future. Taking the Lord's Supper has an exclamatory nature to it. We are proclaiming something. We are making known something. We are proclaiming Christ's death. We are testifying to the truth of who Jesus is. He is the God-man, the Son of God, the incarnate God, who died a sacrificial death in our place, but who also rose again on the third day. And that his death and resurrection and ascension into heaven is not the end of the story. As great of all, as all of that is, as necessary as all of that is, he is coming again. While we look back to the past, while we look to the present benefits that we know now, we will also look ahead when Jesus will come and take us unto himself and we will partake and at the same time we will say, come Lord Jesus. And that this gathering around the Lord's table and partaking of the Lord's supper is a reminder that the devil himself has been and will ultimately be defeated. Evil will not rule the day. Christ will rule the day. So whatever evil that we might face in the world now, whatever opposition from Satan we might know now in our lives, it will not go on forever. It will come to an end because Jesus is coming back on a white horse, the one who is faithful and true. So we know our victory is certain and secure. Number four, we will commune with Christ. We will commune with Christ. Sometimes the Lord's Supper is called communion. We understand that because it's a time for us to commune or to fellowship with Christ. And it speaks a word to us because it says we are able to commune with Christ because we are one with Christ. We are united to Christ. As Paul often says in his epistles, we are in him. And so would it be that as we come to partake of the Lord's Supper, we would remember it's a time of communion with Christ. And on the heels of that comes number five. We will establish the unity of Christ's body. We will establish the unity of Christ's body. One of the reasons Paul has to address the Lord's Supper in 1 Corinthians 11 is because they were abusing the Lord's table. It was scandalous. When he says this, I hear there are divisions among you. You are coming together to break bread, to partake of the Lord's Supper, to commune with Christ, to demonstrate your union with Him. Wait for one another. Partake together. There should not be these divisions and factions. It should be for unity. And so then we're also reminded we cannot take the Lord's Supper in an individualistic way. It is meant for us to take together. It is meant to be a sign of our oneness and unity in Christ. Could it be that when we are partaking of the Lord's Supper, it is a way for us to show that we are eager to maintain the unity of, of the Spirit in the bond of peace? What happens when you gather together with people around a table to eat? You have to lay all of your weapons down. You have to be vulnerable. 
there is a sense of fellowship and togetherness around the table. How much more so when we gather together around the Lord's table. We meet with one another as we partake in these elements. We agree with one another as we partake in these elements. That leads us to number six. We will be strengthened in the faith. We will be strengthened in the faith. Food and drink is for sustenance. Without them, we will not survive. The Lord's Supper is a reminder that our spiritual life and spiritual sustenance is dependent completely upon Christ. Do you ever wonder how you'll be able to go on, how you'll be able to endure, how you'll be able to make it another day? How can we go on living by faith and not by sight? Here is a regular reminder that your spiritual life is not dependent upon you, but on the Lord. What is it that we need when we feel like our faith is going to fail? What do we need when our faith is small? What do we need when we are a broken reed or a smoldering wick that feels like it's about to be extinguished? We need Christ to hold us fast. And one way that he does that is through the Lord's Supper. Our faith will be strengthened as we partake of the Lord's Supper. We will be, we will be reminded of those around us who have the same allegiance, who believe the same things, who are fighting the same good fight of faith, who are running the same race of faith with endurance. We are reminded that we are not alone, but that as the Lord passed on the ordinance of the Lord's Supper to his disciples, so the apostles handed it down. So it's been handed down throughout the ages. It is a chance for us to remember that we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses that we do not have to give up or give in. We can go on looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. And finally, seven, we will examine ourselves in the light of Christ. We will examine ourselves in the light of Christ. In 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-eight, Paul says, let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink the cup. For everyone or for anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. The Lord's Supper provides a time of self-examination. Provides a time when you can ask the Lord to look into your heart, mind, life. A time when you can say with the psalmist in 139, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. Repentance is not just a one-time act for the believer. It's an ongoing act. It's a part of our life every single day. And so, as a church, as we come together every Sunday, we want to be a repenting church. We want to be a church that is soft and sensitive to sin. We want to be a church that sees sin like God sees sin. We want to forsake and hate sin like God hates sin. And we want to be renewed and refreshed as we recall the grace of God in our lives that has come to us through Jesus Christ.
So as we see sin, as we repent of sin, we also remember God's grace has been lavished upon us. And so coming to the Lord's Supper, we open our hearts again to him. We sing that song, joyful, joyful, we adore thee. There's a line in there that says, our hearts unfold like flowers before thee. Has your heart done that before the Lord? Your heart unfolded before him? Opened yourself to him? Received him? The Gospel of John says this in chapter 3, verses 19 through 21. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his work should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Come to the light. Come to the light and examine yourself. Come to the light of Jesus and look forward to that day when all of God's people will gather around a table that is called the marriage supper of the Lamb. And this is what it says about that supper in Revelation 19. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give Him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true words of God. Then I fell down at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, You must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you. And your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. We partake around this table because we look forward to another meal. The marriage supper of the Lamb. Where all God's people will say these words together. People who are finally and fully clothed in fine, bright pure linen. So we come to the table today. We come to the table to receive the bread and the cup, but more importantly, we come to receive Jesus Christ himself. Not to reject him, not to turn him away, but to receive him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. I pray that I would have taught it today and preached it with accuracy. I pray that our hearts would desire and be devoted to the breaking of bread and that we would remember as we come together, Christ 
would remember that we are here to exalt him. Remember that we are here to proclaim a theology of the cross, a theology of suffering, a theology of the necessity of dying to self daily. Theology where we remember that it's salvation based on Christ's merits and Christ's merits alone, not on our merit in any way. Father, would we be devoted to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. May you unify us through our time around the table right now. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We had uh, cups and bread on the way in. If you didn't get one, if you just raise your hand and let Eric know. This time around the table, though, is for believers. If you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you are welcome around this table to partake with us. If you have not put your faith and trust in Jesus, we pray that you would. We pray, though, that you would refrain from participating. You would take time, this time, to think about Christ, to think about what he has done, to think about the sacrifice that he made to save sinners. We pray that you would come to put your faith and trust in Christ and know him. We ask that you would at this time refrain if you have not put your faith in him yet. May we commune with Christ around this table. May we meet with him and may we meet with one another. We remember this bread which represents his body. The body that was sacrificed on the cross the body who did not have any of its bones broken like the perfect Passover lamb prepared for us. The lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We prepare our hearts by taking time to meditate on this bread together. Father, we thank you for Christ's body, which is represented by this bread. May we take it with pure hearts, clear consciences, as a reminder of the salvation that we have in Christ. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Take and eat. As you prepare your cup, would you take a moment to meditate on the blood of Jesus Christ?
Father, there is power in the blood. Power in the blood that cleanses us from all of our sin. Power in the blood that makes us acceptable in your eyes. Power in the blood because we are given new life in Christ through the shedding of his blood. Pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Would you take the cup and drink?